We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Ooh, Don Palumbo. Joan Alanto. It's good to see you again. Hey, it's nice to see you. Yeah. I mean, since like an hour ago. It's good every time, Don. Whatever. It's always always a pleasure. Well, thank you so much to everybody for being with us this evening. This is our biggest crowd yet, so give yourselves a round of applause. That's pretty cool. Yes. It, uh, this, this adds to my pinch me moments, and, and Jonah probably has the Jonah bumps. Who am I kidding? Uh, so a big thanks to Atypical Brewery and Barrel Works. They are absolutely wonderful. Support them, drink their beer, tip them well. And again, a huge, huge thank you to uh, Shots Crossroads for sponsoring the bottle of beer for each table. That's really, really cool. All right. So thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We are so grateful for the comments, the feedback, and the support that we receive from our listeners. We really, truly appreciate it, and it does amazing things for us. Even if you just leave us a review that says how much you like cheese, it does something because algorithms are dumb, and that's what they do. So Jonah, what are people saying about Midwest murder? Yeah, big thank you, everybody. This one is from Ash13. Fascinating. Five stars. I live in Minot, North Dakota, but only have for three years. I was born and raised in the South and lived there for the first 23 years of my life before coming here to North Dakota. I know all of the true crime stories of the South, but to hear all about the Midwest's stories is fascinating. Midwest Murder does a great job at telling the stories and still keeping things as lighthearted as they can for a little comedic relief. Love the podcast. Well, thank you, Ash. Yeah, right now. Thanks, Ash. That's pretty pretty cool. Thanks. This one's from Snippy McSnipface. (laughs) Four stars. Jonah talks over Don, but what an imbalance. Jonah talks over... Did you hear the groans? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you hear the groans? (laughs) It's four stars. It can't be that bad, right? What an imbalance. Jonah talks over Don and can't shut up. (laughs) On the other hand, Don cannot manage to get a complete thought out. And when she does, she manages to be inarticulate. Yeah, that's good. It's difficult to know what exactly she is trying to say as she nervously stumbles all over her words. She often offers excellent insights, but undercuts herself with her tendency to pronounce something disgusting without any other commentary, saying, quote, it's disgusting, really is intellectually lazy. Okay. I thought this was going to be about you, bro. Like, come on. Intellectually lazy? I just got called lazy. I understand the temptation for Jonah to turn to mansplaining, as he often does when she presents a case, but it may be a better idea for him to coach her on her presentation. Other reviewers have pointed out 
and rightfully so, the many charms and strengths of this podcast, but these two may want to consider how they could make this podcast where both hosts shine equally. We got four stars. We got four stars. <laughs> but it's really disgusting. It's it, disgusting. Here's the deal. There's, I, I have something about this that I have to talk about, and it's, it's the mansplaining. And I, had to, I, I Googled it. I wanted to know, what, what, what is mansplaining? What kind of bullshit is this really? Well, is and, it? No, hang on. No, no, there's a time and a place for... Not, there, it's, mansplaining is real, and don't, ag- don't undercut that. I'm okay. not. However... It said, the, the, the description of mansplaining is a man who talks at a woman in a patronizing or condescending fashion. But let me tell you something about Don Palumbo. I'm getting, it's my girl here. And the fact is, you have misjudged her because she is not the kind of woman who would just let some dumbass guy mansplain at her. No, that's just- Don Palumbo? No. Yeah. Well, no. frankly, frankly- You guys have misjudged her. That's just disgusting. Now, second piece of that. I may be a verbose over-explainer, as anyone who has spent a significant amount of time can confirm to. Yes. It is a hell of a lot different than mansplaining. And, no and, woman yes. in my life would let me get away with that shit. The people I'm closest with are my sisters, my mom, my cousins. They're almost all female. And Don Palumbo, my partner. So, yeah. ain't no mansplaining. I overexplain the hell out of things. Yes. Example, point in case. Real quick, I just got to tell you guys I think it's this. Actually, I, so, think it's, I think it's actually case in point, but good one, yeah. No, but really. <laughs> the other day, hey, somebody in Minot bought this old building, and I, and I was just telling my buddy, I was like, you know, I heard nobody wanted to buy that building for the longest time because of the prohibitive costs of having to put in an overwater suppression system to protect from fires. And he looks at me, he said, oh, you mean a sprinkler system? <laughs> And I was like, shit, why couldn't I think of that word? Why couldn't I just think of a sprinkler system? So anyways, that's an insight into how my brain works. And we got to stop conflating mansplaining with over-explaining because mansplaining is douchey. And I just don't think I do it. And if you do, I'm sorry, but we have a righteous disagreement there. And and mansplaining, so Jonah's over-explaining. I have uh, a, a, a good close friend of mine has actually named it Jonah splaining because it is right like it's it's just you know and like even today he he sends sends a message where you know maybe a year ago I'd be like oh my gosh fuck that guy like come on I fucking get it already and but I love you right and but then today I was like wait he just needs to make sure that he's heard that's all right so it's as simple as that he caught me on a really good day yeah (laughs) but that's what it is it's just Jonah explaining so there you have it there's a lot of banter for all you people who love our banter and if you don't well I maybe you just fast forwarded that and congratulations you can't fast forward here presently with us we got you let's fast forward to my (laughs) let's fast forward to my intellectually lazy podcast episode that sounds great (laughs) I'm looking forward to it so we appreciate the reviews and you know what we are humble and genuine enough to read the bad ones right in front of you guys. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. We'll even, take it. Even when you haven't read it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, do do you have your ranch ready? Don, I might have ranch yes. in my pocket. You just never know. So, if you need some good stuff, check out Shots Crossroads in Minot, North Dakota. If you're in the area, you know you're going to leave well-fed. If you're just passing through, let us remind you that Shots Crossroads has big portions and always competitive prices. Even when you're getting a tank of gas, they usually have a lower price per gallon than the surrounding stores. And this is the best part. Shots Crossroads offers an additional seven cents off per gallon when you pay with cash. 
seven I did not know that. Off a gallon like, that's, with cash. That's worth me driving across town, actually. Yeah. No, it, it is. Might that's not be, that's but, worth it. You'd yeah. save. Yeah, I'll, please. Thank you, uh, Warren Peach. Yes. So, yeah, we, we really do appreciate shots. And I want to point out their travel center, besides the competitive prices and the big portions, you get consistency, friendly faces, social atmosphere, consistent product. And they're one of the places you stop in and they give you like, like the buy two and get a discount, right? Like their energy drinks, their buy two for four bucks. And I just, I appreciate that. A lot of places... They don't let you uh, buy more and save money. Shots, they let you yeah. do it. We appreciate them. So get a pie, get some ranch, get a 99. Shots has built itself on consistency for 45 years, and we appreciate having them supporting Midwest Murder. And this has nothing to do with the, the sponsor thing. I was actually explaining to my kids the other day how we should go get fries and gravy or ranch or both, and they were just like, why, Mom? It's just fries and ranch. Like, you guys don't understand, and I have failed you as parents. So, yeah. <laughs> Parental fail. <laughs> right. So you can also buy us a hot dish now at www. Do people still do that? Yeah. Do people still say the three W's? I don't know. Okay. Buymeacoffee.com slash Midwest Murder. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You want to support the show? You. you do it there. Yeah. Do it there. Yeah. What does a hot dish do for us, Jonah? Just we eat it mostly. <laughs> That's what we do with our hot if dishes. You, if you buy us a hot dish at buymeacoffee.com, it helps us pay for case files. It helps us, uh, you know, just pay for the the in and out costs of this uh, podcast. It helps us pay for therapy from being called intellectually lazy. Yeah, I'm absolutely <laughs> going to take one of those, uh, those next ones, our, one of our months, and use it on my copay. It'll be great. We also have merch. You can find it. We've got the links conveniently on our Facebook and Instagram. It's uh, tpublic.com slash store slash Midwest Murder. So go find it. We appreciate you. All right. The year was 2011. We've been here before. Once, maybe twice. Osama bin Laden, founder and leader of Al-Qaeda, was killed by American troops Two billion people watched the largely, widely televised wedding of Prince William and Catherine Middleton at Westminster Abbey. Raise your hand if you watch that. I know there's going to be a hand over there. That's right. No, Diane, yes. Raise bet, your hand. I, I bet yes. my mom was watching. She's out exactly. there. Exactly. It, 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 it was, yes, it was good. And then I watched, it was, yeah. Anyway, just a little fun there. Uh, where am I at here? Oh, yeah. So Occupy Wall Street protest began. The U.S. formally de- declared an end to the Iraq war, but it started another. Kim Jong-il died, and while it was a scary time, I lived for the SNL episodes when Amy Poehler played him. They were Classic. Just, they were so good. And REM announced that they were breaking up after 31 years. Oh. Yeah. Which, I mean, when was the last time they'd released an album, but still, it, whatever. Back I, when I was know. losing my religion? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh. <laughs> the average cost of a gallon of gas cost $3.52, so I just wanted to throw it out there just for a little... Wasn't you know we're not that far off, we're, we're far off. In sports news, the Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup. The Dallas Mavericks beat two-time defending NBA champions, LA Lakers. St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series, and the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl. It's also worth mentioning that this was the year that the Penn State sexual assault scandal was discovered after years of covering it up. So gross. I just uh, gave me Jonah bumps right Jerry, there. Jerry Sandusky, what a gross human being. Uh, in deaths that year. Elizabeth, well, lots of people died, but, you know, notable ones. And they're all notable, so I'm over-explaining it. I'm Jonah explaining it here. You guys just got Jonah-splained by (laughs) Don. How'd that feel? I know, yeah. Very intellectually lazy. Elizabeth Taylor, uh, Nate Dogg, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Did you wait? Did you say my man, Macho Man, Randy Savage? Ooh, yeah. Don't provoke the madness, brother. I had to, my favorite wrestler of all time. I didn't know time. where this was going. You just like, favorite. Don had no idea, my favorite wrestler yeah. ever. Yeah. 
Jack Vorkin, Amy Winehouse, and Joe Frazier, and Harry Morgan died. And just so you guys know, when somebody shares Harry Morgan's death for the 400th year in a row, he died in 2011. He didn't die yesterday. It would put him at like 110. Raise your hand if you remember that thing floating around for like years after years. Am I the only one that pays attention? Apparently. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. it. I missed that chain yeah. letter. He's died like 13 times now. He Trust me. He died in 2011. Is he a cat? I mean, what's the deal here? Hey, that's, you know what? That, Nine lives. Dude. My cat just died a couple weeks ago, and so like that was a that, that was a shitty oh, joke, man. So anyway. Cats have nine lives. Don't pick on me. Oh, well, this one didn't. So <laughs> anyway, uh, R.I.P. Hammy. It's good. All right, South Dakota is known for being on the bottom of North Dakota, and just so you know, it's better on top. Can we, just, can we just end it's it right here? Classic. Like, let's just end it. You guys have been great. We're out. No. Uh, it, is, it is home to Mount Rushmore, a good portion of the Badlands. We have some. It always, it always it irks me when people are like, oh, it just is South Dakota. Like, no, no. We have some. Not all of them, but we have some. There's a Badland in North yeah. Dakota, too. Just like one or two. Yeah. The Black Hills and one of my personal favorites, Spearfish. Yes. Something that isn't widely known is their use of capital punishment. It has been abolished and reinstated a few times over the history of the state. First being abolished in 1915, reinstated in 1939, abolished in 1972, and then reinstated for the last time in 1979. So it's, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, even though it's there, it isn't used too often. The first, and in fact, the first execution after it was reinstated most re- recently was in 2007. So it was reinstated in 1979, and it was 2007. Used. So odd yeah. how it kept coming and going again, like, well, you know, as if government of... doesn't work efficiently or something, Just, you know, yeah. like keep changing the rules every handful of years, depending on who's making the rules. It's weird. Uh, and uh, since reinstatement, there have been, I almost said only, but I shouldn't say only because capital punishment is, it's a very big deal. There, there have been five executions and Eric Robert and Rodney Burgett are two of those five. So Rodney Burgett was what some would call a career criminal, being in and out of the prison system in South Dakota beginning in 1984, which is the year I was born. He was released from prison in 2002, the year I graduated, after his latest felonies. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not, it's not funny, but it was just, it just clicked. I was like, hey, I was born and then I graduated. So he spent my entire 18 years committing lots of felonies. Living for a time in Aberdeen, South Dakota, it seemed he lived a rough life. And it's hard to say what happened prior to his first incarcerations because there's not a lot of information out there about his past. But he had served numerous sentences for a total of nine felony charges to include grand theft, escape, and burglary. He would only add to that list. June 2nd and 3rd were very busy for 41-year-old Rodney Burgett. A violent crime spree earned him a laundry list of charges. He kicked it off by stealing a recently traded Subaru from a dealership in Missoula, Montana, and then made his way to Leeds, South Dakota. On Monday, June 2nd, at approximately 9.10 p.m., lead police received a domestic dispute call to a home on Sawyer Street. At the residence, police found 32-year-old Beatrice Miranda and 43-year-old Brian Horstman, both wounded from a gunshot. Not fatally, but still wounded. You know, getting shots, kind of a big deal. The three children in the home were unharmed physically. The suspect in question was none other than Rodney Burgett, and he was no longer there. Beatrice was supposedly Burgett's former girlfriend, but the relationship between the three individuals may have been a little bit deeper than that. 
Ooh, a love triangle situation, possibly. So. Some, yeah, I think so. Neighbors in the area weren't familiar with the current couple and didn't even know anything with that was going on. Like somebody gets shot, a couple shots, and nobody had any idea uh, until police cars started arriving on scene. And investigators believed that Burgett initiated the shooting, but someone else inside the house fired at least one shot. I think Burgett won that that gunfight. Yeah. yeah. It's neighbors, just no idea that gunshots are happening next Fingers to Fingers in the ears, not paying it's, attention at all. South yeah. Dakota's wild, man. Them black, them, well, them badlands. Not all of South Dakota. I mean, it was like Sawyer Street. Right. Don't, you know, don't all encompass all of them in Sawyer Street. <laughs> no, right. Le- Leeds is <laughs> a great place. Great people. <laughs> Approximately an hour after the shooting, Meade County Sheriff's Office received a call from a customer at the Sturgis Quick Mart who said there was no one inside when he went to pay for gas. It didn't take long for authorities to figure out that the incidents in Leed and Sturgis were connected. An earlier customer provided a description of the same white Subaru that Burgett was driving. He wasn't alone now, though, and he kidnapped the clerk who had been working at the Quick Mart. Oh. He drove her to Wall, South Dakota, about 80 miles, or in Midwest terms, an hour and 10 minutes. And uh, law enforcement across the state was alerted of the vehicle. So he dropped her off, unharmed. She was shaken. Wow. But unharmed. What's the point of kidnapping the poor lady then? Just in case well, there was, a, if I need a backup plan, I'm going to take this lady and do something. But I guess I don't. So good for her. Like, well, I, I think that's exactly how that yeah. works. Like, I mean, wow. Well, usually they don't get away after that. No, I, she was she was incredibly Holy. incredibly lucky. So, law enforcement across the state was alerted of, alerted of the vehicle, and some law enforcement agencies call that a signal 100, basically meaning everyone be on the lookout for this vehicle and hold everything, so every piece of traffic, but emergency traffic. So, a short while later, a trooper saw the vehicle near Cottonwood, South Dakota, not far from Wall. The pursuit began, and another trooper laid spi- laid spike strips, which blew out three of the four Subaru tires. I mean, he gave her hell. He was he was cruising, and then he just sat there. Sparks flying. Negotiations started, and he continued to sit there. And as one trooper said, "quote He was basically holding himself hostage." So he he eventually peacefully surrendered four hours later, and he was ultimately charged with aggravated assault involving a deadly weapon, attempted kidnapping, grand theft. Commission of a felony while armed with a firearm and burglary. Man, that's a stack. Like I said, he earned himself a laundry list. You know, oh, and that's, damn. I mean, so let's see, I'm going to count that out. So, so he had nine felonies already. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, five. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's in double digits now. He's got some street cred, I guess. Well, and I guess he makes Midwest history, Midwest murder history as being the first murderer to kidnap themselves and hold themselves hostage. Hostage. Yeah, yeah. basically. It's the first Midwest murder first right there. Yeah. Mark it on the calendar. He would ultimately get two life sentences. Life was a bit different for Eric Robert. Still growing up with childhood trauma, he prevailed when the statistics and odds were stacked against him. He was born in Massachusetts in 1962 and his father left before he was a year old. His mother moved him and his younger sister to Hayward, Wisconsin. And according to his sister, Robert became the father figure while their mom was working three jobs while also earning a college degree. Holy. Like that's. That's, that's a lot of responsibility to put at uh, Eric's feet too. Well, for sure. And I mean, I, you feel bad for his mom and him. But, so according to court records, his sister said, my brother took care of everything. He took out the trash. He made sure dinner was on the table. He even did grocery shopping. He got me my first dog. He did everything. He even shoveled snow. And in Hayward, it's a lot of snow. He put himself through college by working weekends and during summer breaks. 
He didn't take a penny from my mother because she was putting herself through college, end quote. So, I mean, his so he, has, he, he wasn't just like, like, oh, I'm 15 and my siblings, he was kind of much older if he was putting himself to the point where he was in college. Well, I think, I mean, she was, you know, his mom was working her ass off to make ends meet for more than just, yeah, I'm not begging on her. No, I don't No, I know that. But, um, I mean, you would, why don't you mansplain that? (laughs) When I just patronize this, this hardworking lady, this hardworking woman. So he, but he, do we have the ages? I'm sorry. Do you know? I'm sorry. Do you know how old he was? Was this his whole life? This, he is, was, pretty, this is pretty much his, his life. life. Yeah. So okay. growing up, I mean, she was working her ass off for many, many years. Even to the yeah. point where he was going to college, still caring for his siblings. No, at that point, no, he was, okay. I mean, he, I think he was on his own because he was putting himself, he was putting himself through college. So this is like the span of his 18 years. Okay. So he, good question. So he earned a biology degree with a minor in chemistry. And the workforce took him to Superior, Wisconsin, as a wastewater treatment supervisor for the city of Superior. Robert was well-liked, and he got along well with his co-workers. They even called him Ranger. It's kind of a cool, cool nickname. But uh, the only reason he eventually lost his job was because he didn't live within the city limits, which was a requirement of employment. He had been in a long-term relationship with a woman he later lived with, and she told a much, much different story than that of his co-workers. Oh, she said, quote, he was an aggressive, mean person who didn't like other people and had to be in control, end quote. Which, that comes from some childhood trauma, that comes from, you know, being the father figure, you know, just very unhealthy, right, it, in, in that, in the brain. Yeah, it's, it's certainly difficult when I think you get responsibilities loaded onto you in a way that perhaps before you're ready for them, oh, which he... For sure. he, he very likely could have if you're doing your grocery shopping and it's great. We want to commend people who are able, but to some point, if your childhood is robbed of you because you're caring for your siblings, there's resentment that comes with that. And and there's probably a, it's adult responsibilities on, on, on kid brains and kids aren't built with the patience of adults in these situations. I think we, we overlook that, especially men who have a tendency to be less patient anyways, more quick to anger, more testosterone. All of these elements don't necessarily lend themselves very well to well, a lifetime of responsibility before sure, you should have before, gotten it put at you. should be there, right? And again, it's unhealed trauma, you know? So then if you're not handling those things, if you're not, you know, seeking out the, the help, and of course, you know, back in the 90s, we certainly didn't. But, you know, you can look back and, and just see where things started to unravel in, in those brains. And to be clear, very big difference between you occasionally care for the house for a day or two to watch sure. your siblings versus you're doing everything. everything. Where you as a, you are a parent at say 11 or 12. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a lot. There are long-term effects from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that's not knocking on, should we wait for that maybe? No, just go. Okay. Well, the, uh, maybe we better wait. Let's wait. It's, it's only going to go closer. for a second. It's getting closer. It's getting So louder. how's the beer? Part of the live experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, these, this, this is part of the live experience. We didn't add you, that in the notes. Do you guys want to know how trains work? Boy, <laughs> let me tell you. You know what? It's just disgusting. <laughs> Gosh, if that person is in the audience tonight, I'm really sorry. Clearly, we should talk afterwards. No, if you're in the audience, we appreciate you. We, we love those moments of self-reflection. It's okay. We do. And, we do. You know, yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's, they're funny. Yeah. You know. Snippy yeah. McSnip face. <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourself living rent-free in our head. 
for a day or two. Yeah, for a day or two. Until we move on with our lives yeah. happily. I might make a joke about it again, but it's not living rent-free, I can tell you. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm going to overthink the shit out of it for the next couple of days, but after that, she's gone. Anyway, all right. So, in nine, and, oh, what I, was, what I was saying before the train so rudely interrupted us. The, the trauma the, the, that he kind of might the, have been carrying. But the carrying. mom, you know, so us mom, having that yeah. conversation, you know, none of that is, is knocking on this mother who was just no. trying to do everything she possibly could to provide for her children, you know, from, from one single mother to the, uh, to another, like that is, I can't imagine having to work three jobs and then still, you know, putting yourself through college. I mean, so all of that, that conversation, the trauma that was put on him, almost unavoidable, I I think, sadly, you know, what do you, what do you do? Well, and I envision perhaps a level of heroism on his part that felt like I love my mom and I want to do everything I can to help her and and care for her. And you, may not even know that some of these resentful feelings are developing over that no. period of time. Yeah, I don't know. You certainly don't recognize it. And to you, that's just normal. So he, he so the quote was, he, uh, he was an aggressive, mean person who didn't like other people and had to be in control. And so that's where that childhood trauma came from. And that's where it's really poking its ugly face. Right. So the two were high school classmates, but didn't know each other very well then. And in 1992, he began coaching her son's baseball team and soon moved in with her and her two kids. Okay. So, so this after high school, they'd parted ways, rekindled. He slid right on in. Yeah. So one he day. He became a stepdad and coach. Well, yeah. and I mean, if we're going to really psychology this, it's not the technical term, but if we're really going to dive down that, 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 that road, I mean, he's swooping in to save another single mom. Sure. Right. That's yeah. That's, yes. Yes. Yeah. My You're school, smart, my school's Don. paying off. No, that's good. Not intellectually lazy. Your school's paying off. Yep. Anyway. Oh, did I do it? Was that, was that one? <laughs> no, oh. no, I, no, I made a comment under my breath about oh, okay. being intellectually lazy. So like one me. day, as the two were sitting on the couch together, Robert backhanded her. I knew it. In a move of self-defense, she hit him back, but was immediately fearful he would retaliate. And he did. In her words, quote, he punched me in the mouth so hard it pushed my bottom teeth through my lip. Oh, man. And... Of course, it was the 90s. He told ER staff, some of whom he knew from his time as an EMT, that his partner slipped on the ice while she was carrying groceries. Oh, come on. You know, because it's Wisconsin. We got a lot of ice here. Yeah. Yeah. And Look, that's happens, what happened. But Jesus. Yeah. So years later, still together, he brought another excuse when a broken foot that he'd caused brought her to the ER yet again. So police had been called for an incident after they'd broken up because he showed up at her home, intoxicated, and pulled her around the yard by her hair. Oh, man. In fear goodness. of even more retaliation, she refused to continue with charges. It, so this is just you've so got hard two, to hear. You've got two different guys, right? You have one. You have one who is, you know, hey, just the good old buddy, like hey, pal, you know, that's good coworker, and the other one who's beating I'm a shit out baseball of his- coach with kids under my responsibility. Meanwhile, my, my lady friend. Yeah. Yeah. So throughout their relationship, because it gets better throughout their relationship, he would force her to come to bed nude. And if she refused to have sex, he would beat her into submission. Oh, she would later tell a judge, quote, I told myself because I rolled over and said, fine, it wasn't rape. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only former girlfriend of his that would feel that way. He was a monster. He was a monster who hid hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Hit it from all kinds of people, clearly. His old EMT buddies, parents of the baseball coach. Yeah. 
So in 2005, he moved from Wisconsin to Piedmont, South Dakota. And I'm sure she, man, she had a sigh of relief. He's gone. And so this, at this point, when he's moved to South Dakota, he had a plan to help a friend's business. You know, he wasn't working for the city anymore. He's, he's starting to unravel at this point. And unravel he did. On July 24th, 2005, Robert followed a young 18-year-old woman down a rural road near Blackhawk. At approximately 2 a.m., he blasted his pickup spotlights to pull her over. Impersonating an undercover police officer, he asked her to perform field sobriety tests. Wow. And can I just stop and say, if you were ever pulled over by something that is not flashing red and blue, you don't stop and you call the local law enforcement agency to ask them if they have an officer that is following you because that is how this shit happens. Drive there if you can. Drive there if you have to. And if, if somebody is going to arrest you for fleeing an officer, you can tell them to get bent because that is, uh, that's, I'm, I'm sorry, it, if you're pulling somebody over without, you know, red and blue lights, even if you are them, like if, if they are, you make damn sure that that's, that, that, that they're legit. When he's clearly, he's driving some really big, huge, souped up truck with big, big lights on the top and he's flashing mm-hmm. it. She's 18. She's scared. Right. She's scared. She's young, probably a little naive, you know, it's not, and it's not her fault, you know? No, it uh, happens. And it's, it's really terrifying how often somebody impersonating an official right. is able to mm-hmm. capture a victim. It's, it's right. Because we are, we trust them. Right. And, and it, it causes Oh, many issues <laughs> for, for those that are actually trying to do their jobs and try to do them well. No, this guy's disgusting. Yeah. So according to the victim, he didn't have any form of identification. He had maybe just a t-shirt on and jeans. Had, and again, he's undercover, right? I'm an undercover cop. Had some facial hair and just an unshaven look, end quote. While she was suspicious, she still complied when Robert ordered her to empty the trunk of her car. He then lifted her and stuffed her inside. Oh, man. She later recalled, I remember hearing the vehicle that was behind my car leaving, so I thought he had just left me there. Luckily for her, he didn't search her because she had her cell phone with her. And, you know, this is 2005. 2005. She's probably lucky she had a cell phone. Right. Yeah. While Robert was just moving his vehicle to an empty lot down the road, she called a friend for help. Robert returned to her vehicle and drove her car to the same empty lot. He must have heard her on the phone or sirens. It's unclear, but whatever it was, it spooked him. And Pennington County Sheriff's Department arrived to hear her recount her kidnapping. So just a few later, a few days later, detectives finally caught up with Robert, anticipating he'd be caught. He had shaved his head and his facial hair. And when detectives searched his pickup, they'd found a mattress, an axe, rope, and pornography. Oh, boy. He just said that that's where he stayed sometimes. He just slept in his pickup sometimes, which, hey, man, that happens. We've all probably been close to that. But when you have an axe and a rope, like, I mean, I feel like I'm not going to bring the porn into it because, man, if you're sleeping in a car, sometimes it's probably lonely. Right. But like, <laughs> but a mattress, an axe and a rope. Thank you like, for reiterating a mattress, axe and rope and right. pornography. So he knew what the hell to do with his prick when he abducted this woman. Did you? Wow. It's just it's it, it, break. Well, it, 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 it's this this guy is horrific. Oh, he's awful. He's awful. And his, um, his, the, the business friend that he went down to hang out or went out, went down to help with, she actually, she corroborated. She, she, she said, yeah, oh. she said, yes, absolutely. He sleeps in his car sometimes in the parking lot. Okay. Well, did you check it for an ax? 
Like maybe you should add that to the application. It's my abduction truck slash house. Yeah. Yeah. So after some questioning, he finally admitted to pulling over the victim and was then arrested. Prosecutors used the evidence as proof that Robert was planning on raping the victim. Thank goodness. Yes. Here's the kicker. So for that, he was sentenced to 80 years in prison. Good. Right? Like, right. wow. Okay. It, so that so is, that is stopping that from happening to anybody else. Right. They, they got this part right. Yes. So when the sentence was delivered, judge Warren Johnson said, quote, it certainly sounds like the Wisconsin Eric Robert is a totally different person from the South Dakota Eric Robert I'm dealing with today. Or was he? Oh, I don't think so. He was hardened by prison life slowly come to, coming to the belief that everyone was against him. Anytime an incident happened, his rage just grew. He was denied two appeals and a sentence reduction and then denied a transfer to a Wisconsin penitentiary to be closer to his mother. So he had a lot of fuel for his rage. And I can't imagine, again, early 2000s, mid 2000s, where you know, mental health is just kind of gaining some traction as far as you know, it's okay to not be okay, right? And, and seeking therapy. His generation, probably not. Well, and, and so he's this, not working on those issues that are causing this rage. Uh, not at all. And the amount of women he's made victims in his life and then to get imprisoned and act like a victim just pisses me mm-hmm. off. What right. a cr- like, disgusting You're the victim. Right. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. That's the guy that would mansplain something. That Oof. guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. So, as it was described by the Mitchell Republic newspaper, quote, Robert's rage metastasized, I have to think on that through, until he came to view himself as a soldier in a war against his oppressors. Whoa. Like. That's warped. His brain was warped. Like, yes, big time. So, everybody was out to get him. And, on April 12th, 2011, Eric Robert and Rodney Burgett would carry out a horrific crime that would seal their fate as prisoners of the South Dakota prison system. Jonah bumps right there. So these two creeps meet in prison. They meet in prison and they have a plan. And just a backstory. So Rodney Bergen, of course, had already, he had tried to escape with, you know, with one of his, you know, 74 felonies before, you know, it's old hat for him at this point. And He's, yeah. he's made an escape attempt. Yes, yeah, so wow. on a previous charge. Okay. Eric Robert was, uh, he was basically caught trying to, you know, quote, escape. He claims he was set up by other prisoners. I, I'm well, guessing probably Eric not. Well, of course claims because, he was set up because you know, he's, he's the always victim. a victim. So I would guess not. But that's, so that's a little backstory. And that happened, in, I want to say, in 2008. Okay. So correctional officer Ronald R.J. Johnson was called in on his day off to cover a shift for an ill co-worker. He got called in on his birthday of all days and he came in. That's dedication. No, let me, wherever you are, don't ever get called in on your birthday. You just People, don't. Just don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. No, he that's was, a big no. And he was 63. He was oh. turning 63. So, I mean... We all know where this is going. Oh, I, oh right. man. And so... He came in, right? So he was a 20-year veteran of the prison system, so he knew how a typical day would go. And if he didn't cover the shift, that would likely mean a shift would go shorthanded. So and he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to, to do that. His, 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 his fellow his, his yeah, fellow correctional COs, officers. Yeah, yeah. So at 7:30 a.m. that day, his 63rd birthday, he started his post in the Pheasantland Industries building on the penitentiary complex. 
you're familiar with uh, the state pen here in Minot, it would, they, you know, they call it the farm, right? It's where they get to go work. If In the movies, it's where they would make license plates. Okay? okay. So bring it into real life. It's what they do. So they might make, you know, there might be a service that they provide or whatever, but it's typically for the inmates to have a job while incarcerated. Right. Uh, you can imagine that these uh, two dum-dums weren't, you know, cleared to be there. But they were. Yeah. So Robert and Burgett both classified as maximum security. And because of those restrictions, were not authorized access to the Pheasantland Industries building. At approximately 10.30 a.m., just three hours after RJ had started his shift, the two restricted prisoners walked into the building and then immediately, using a lead pipe they had secured specifically for this escape attempt, bludgeoned Correctional Officer Johnson with it, striking him repeatedly in the face and head. According to court records, an expert testified that the hits to the head continued after the seal was already on the ground. So they just kept going. So much so that Johnson's skull was fractured in at least three spots and also exposed a portion of his brain. A poor guy. His arms and hands would also show defensive wounds, so he wasn't giving up. Once the correctional officer was immobilized and most likely in and out of consciousness at that point, Robert and Burgett wrapped Johnson's head with plastic wrap, which would stop him from crying out if he woke up. Oh, it also man. stopped him from breathing. To hide the body, Robert and Burgett then dragged correctional officer Johnson's near lifeless body behind a large crate. It was behind that large crate that Robert dressed himself in Johnson's uniform and Burgett climbed into a box on a four wheeled cart. Wow. This has very Richard McNair vibes, you know, when he mailed himself basically out of prison when he hopped into a cart. And yes, yeah. and it is, it's, it's one of those crazy scenarios that it only happens in the movies, right. but here these two psychopaths did it. They yep. had this crazy plan, this yep. poor guy. Using the dead man's uniform as a disguise, Robert pushed the cart to the west gate of the penitentiary. One thing he didn't bring with him was an ID badge, and that raised suspicions for correctional officer Jody Hall. Good on her. Or Hall, him, Jody, sorry. Couldn't wasn't clear by way. court records, yeah. yeah. Hall asked Robert who he was, and when, and that made Hall even no more suspicious because he didn't have an answer. And so Hall told correctional officer Matt Freeberg, who instructed her to contact the officer in charge. At that time, Burgett jumped from the box and began beating Officer Freeberg with <sighs> Officer Johnson's radio. With the radio? With his radio. Those things are heavy. So Hall called for a code red, which is like basically everybody drop what they're doing and get their asses there, right? Well, they got the code red out. Mm -hmm. Good. And Burgett continued to beat Freeberg as other correctional officers arrived. At that point, while he's continuing his beating, Robert tried to scale the exterior prison gate, but the razor wire on the fence did its job and he got caught in it. Joining in the fight again. Caught, hung up. Please like, tell me he's strung up there in that razor wire. Well, I mean, he didn't hang there like the bully doesn't, like where he put somebody on the back of a door, okay. right? Like it's like. Would he, have been a lot cooler if it, he did. It would have been a lot cooler if he did. But unfortunately, no. He was able to join into the fight again. And when he did, Robert tried to grab a gun from one of the responding officers. Oh. Proving unsuccessful and knowing they were caught, Robert and Burgett then were ready to bait the officers into shooting them. Oh, Which is such a dick move. Yeah, you know? of course. You're, when, it's, it's, it's that willful suicide by, by cop, cop as some right, of these. Yeah, right. that's. Yep. And when that didn't work, Robert and Burgett shook hands, basically saying, okay, and surrendered. They shook hands? Yeah. 
Job well like, done, sorry, scumbag. Sorry, schoolmate. This didn't work. Guess yeah. they foiled our plan. Yeah. Ah, oh, foiled again. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So it's a lot, you it, know, and 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 they haven't even discovered Officer Johnson yet. So once in custody again and realizing that Robert was wearing Officer Johnson's uniform, you know, putting it together yeah. that he wasn't there. Where's RJ? And then where did he get this? Where did he get this uniform exactly? Where's RJ? Staff started started the search for him. His body was where the inmates left him. His face was horribly disfigured and swollen from the brutal beating and asphyxiation. CPR efforts were attempted, but Officer Johnson was officially declared dead at the hospital. Gosh. Both inmates would be charged with a new count of murder, and both would end up pleading guilty. Eric Robert wanted to plead guilty all along and just be sentenced to death, and they thankfully made him wait it out a little bit. So on September 29th, third inmate was charged with murder. Because where did he get the pipe and where did he get the plastic wrap? Okay. So they had an inside, another inside person. So inmate Michael Nordman was charged with murder for supplying Robert the pipe and plastic wrap to kill Johnson or frankly, whatever, whatever correctional officer was there that day. It didn't matter who. It didn't matter who it was going to be. Yeah. It wasn't personal and doesn't make it any better. But Eric Robert even made the comment of, I would have killed anybody in my way that day. Yeah. He woke up that day ready to kill and get out of prison. Mm-hmm. So on November 11th, 2011, after a psychiatric hearing confirming he was sane at the time of the murder, Rodney Burgett changed his plea to guilty. He was sentenced to death. On January 18th, Eric Robert got, Robert got his wish. He was also sentenced to death. They both get the death penalty. They waived their, they waived their right to a jury deciding whether or not they wanted, they, they would give it to them or not. They both then requested it. They, they requested, I'm guilty mm-hmm. and I want the death penalty. Yep. Even though Burgett would go on to uh, appeal, which, I mean, I get it if you're just like tired, oh, and this already. But when it's your life, like, I mean, I don't know. It, shouldn't your attorney be like, I don't think that's a good idea, guy. Like, but whatever. It it's, adds. It's tough. It, it's just another layer to how twisted this person is it's just an acceptance of I'm an awful human. I've led a shit life. Right. I have done terrible things. Right. Just end me. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Even at, uh, at every hearing, every hearing, Eric Robert didn't want anybody, especially his attorney to say any of the good things he had done. Don't bring up any of the good things. Just talk about the bad things because I want this to be over. The third inmate, Michael Nordman would eventually plead guilty and be given a life sentence because what's one more, I guess, at that point, which is just, but good for them for, for charging that out. Of course. I mean, you got to get that shit somewhere because that's like, I want to say that's like the very definition of contraband. Probably shouldn't have either of those things. No, it isn't. It's an intelligence in the investigation on the parts of, of, whoever looked into this to right. ensure that the third person right. was identified. And they, and they kept going, right? And they I kept investigating it. Big yep. props to the other correctional officer for their instincts in that moment of just knowing something was up. There's a lot of times where you just don't have that. Sure. And I just want to call that out. Well, and I, I, I don't think they, with, with such a, uh, a level of crime here, I don't think they had a choice. Sure. I mean, where the hell did you get that stuff? Again, that doesn't just come out and, you know, they don't sell that in commissary, <laughs> you know? So 
I mean, that's coming you, from somewhere. You, you mean his, his wife on the outside didn't bring him one of them cakes with a little with file a, with, on the inside? A, yeah, nope, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. And if, he, if, if, she, this, if she forgot it, he'd probably beat her. So. I got this from Acme Cakes. It's the same one <laughs> Wiley Coyote uses. Yeah. So. yeah. So, you know, we bring up, like, with this, with this type of crime, obviously, you know, they, the, the prison system didn't have a choice, but it's also easy to poke the holes in the prison system and ask, how did something even like this happen? Like, how did it even happen? And so that's the very question. What happens at a prison after a, hor- a horrific crime like this? And it's, well, I can tell you, it's a really long investigation. And the prison made more than 12 policy and procedural changes. Wow. 12. More officers were added to three areas of the prison. They also installed additional security cameras. Inmate traffic was restricted and perimeter fencing was beefed up. And something, again, it's 2011, so I, I did not look up how old this prison was, but this, this kind of struck me as odd. Um, for, for a place that is, is like, hey, yeah, let's, you know, let's kill them. Absolutely. You do something wrong, we'll kill you. But you don't have panic buttons for staff. And so, so you're saying those, following so this, panic buttons were installed. Buttons they did not were, have them no, previously. No, not I just would that. think those are regular like that, that's part of the standard, right? That I, right. Panic buttons feel like to me they should be standard. Well, I mean, it, things change a little bit. You in know, a prison. It, maybe but, not a county, but like a prison where you, they, you're well, housing vile. Okay, Jonah, where do, you, where, do you think, where do you think the people from prisons come from? They come from county jails. So, of course. Yeah. Right, but county generally housing don't say less. It's not, don't, say it's not a, don't say it's safer. Don't say that. I'm not saying it's safer, but... Long-term violent criminals aren't generally held in county beyond their trial, so it's just a big difference. Right, but between I think once a shit bag, always a shit bag. I mean, in this yeah. instance, right? No, panic buttons just, for every facility in which we're housing right. violent. But we people. also, but we also have to understand that that the 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 facilities. So you know, talk to your legislators and fund the facilities, right? Yeah. Because that's how that's how these things don't happen. So, death penalty. On October 14th, 2012, at 10.01 p.m., Eric Robert was pronounced dead by lethal injection at the same prison he murdered his victim, Ronald R.J. Johnson. Mm. When warden Doug Weber asked Robert if he had any last words, he said, quote, In the name of justice and liberty and mercy, I authorize and forgive Warden Douglas Weber to execute me for my crimes. It is done. End quote. The words, it is done, were emphasized as if there was a period after each word. After numerous appeals, Burgett finally waved the white flag and was scheduled for execution by lethal injection on October 29th, 2018, at 2 p.m. So he had given up his appeals. He was like, I'm peace, I'm out, like, I'm not doing this anymore. All right, it's not going to work. Just end me. So October 29th, 2018, comes along, 2 p.m., comes and goes, and it was delayed until 7.20 p.m. due to a motion at the Supreme Court. The execution itself began by Darren Young, the penitentiary, penitentiary warden, ordering the blinds to be opened. So picture that. The inmate is laying there before you, you know, as if you're watching surgery in a surgical, in a, in a surgery gallery. Secretary of Corrections then said, and at, at this point, I'm... I'm going to start reading from the actual transcript okay. of the execution. Couldn't find it for Eric Robert, but 
uh, Rodney Burgett, he delivered. The Secretary of Corrections then said, quote, we have contacted the Governor of South Dakota, the Chief Justice of the South Dakota Supreme Court, and the Attorney General's office. No appeals are pending, and no motions have been filed to set aside the warrant of death sentence and execution in the matter of the state of South Dakota versus Rodney Burgett. Therefore, you may proceed to carry out the order of the court, end quote. Warden Young then addressed Burgett saying, quote, Rodney Burgett, you have been convicted of the crime of first-degree murder of Ronald R.J. Johnson. You have been sentenced to death by lethal injection for this crime. This is the time and place for execution of that sentence, end quote. Burgett was then asked if he had any last words. Making a joke about the delay it took to begin, he said, quote, Sorry for the delay. I got caught in traffic. He thanked everyone that had been there for him, told a few people he loved them, then indicated to Warden Young he was finished speaking. The execution began. Burgett said, quote, Is it supposed to feel like that? He then groaned and sighed before he began breathing heavily and snoring. He was pronounced dead at 7.37 p.m., and the blinds were then ordered closed. Mm. Neither of them said anything about the victim. Nothing. Not one word. While it was respectable of Robert to give the man that who made it happen, the warden, you know, he, he forgave him. Uh, For having to take still, his life. Yeah. Right. Still didn't say anything about the victims. And I, I don't think that that's discussed very much or very often about those that are in charge of the, it, basically the execution. Yeah. And, and we don't talk about that very often. I mean, can you imagine that weight on those, on that person's shoulders? So again, it was respectable that he offered that to him. It, it, but it is. you son of a bitch say something about your victim that you so brutally murdered. No apologies. Something no. I wanted to come back to regarding Eric Robert and his, his words in the name of justice and liberty and mercy, I authorize and forgive. And it's the authorized part. He wanted to feel as though he had some form of control <laughs> right. Right, to right to the, the very bitter end. end. As if, as if he was giving permission to take his right. life, like he could have changed it with what he, whatever he had to say. It yeah. is so, so. Actually, buddy, you didn't authorize shit. No, you, uh, your judge did. In, but it's nice of you to forgive him. But you know, his attorney, his attorney commented on that and just said, you know, it's it's a basically it's a nice thing for him to do for Warden Weber. Hey, yeah. you know what else is a nice thing to do? Not murder the correctional officer. Right. Not rape and abuse women. Right. I mean, but just a, it's just my, my observation. A, li- a lifetime of being a piece of shit and no, f- no apologies whatsoever None. to anybody you harmed. It's just knowing I'm terrible. The name of justice and liberty. What does liberty and mercy have to do with him dying? Anyways, I'm, you know, liberty and mercy. Just get out of here. Pretty much. And it's interesting because as I was doing the research, you know, I did pop into other, you know, newspaper articles and, and stuff. And it's interesting how this brings up both opposing sides. It, it brings capital up punishment. capital punishment. Right. And so there, there had been a generation that had never even seen this happen in An their execution, state, yeah. you know, and so then, you know, you bring up the opposing sides and that was interesting to read. It's, it is a controversial topic. It's not, it's not. I don't want to say it's not worth us getting, you know, into discussion of it here because I, I, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, but it, it, they come out of the woodwork and people are like, absolutely not. Absolutely. Yes. And it's, know, it's tough. 
it is it is tough and it's shocking at times the 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 kindest and most graceful people oftentimes don't believe in the death penalty for the most awful people and i don't envy anybody who has to be in that final position to make a determination on somebody else's life i would never want to be in that the something else and i want to talk the death penalty but burgett said is it supposed to feel like that and that one gave me chills and actually yes. I texted, that's when I texted you and, and when I was reading this and it, and it was, it made me want to throw up. Like it felt like I was there. Did you get, so he was pronounced that at seven thirty seven. What time was he injected? I guess I was, I found myself curious, like he had enough time to react and have a feeling and to project a thought about they, this death flowing through his veins. Like what the, the weirdest thing. That's, a, like, that's an interesting. Death is literally coursing through my body is it supposed to feel like that was he seeing the light in that moment or the fires of hell whatever it might be uh the it's just wild to me and then he's pronounced dead at 737 so death usually occurs within seven minutes wow about seven seven minutes, minutes this is coursing through your body and you are dying now imagine being part of the gallery i don't i don't want to but you're watching, you're watching this guy die. And that's not something that does every it, human being gets to do. Does right? it make it better? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They do say that uh, the whole procedure can take up to two hours. The anticipation of just waiting to die like that. Yeah. So, so it, it, the capital punishment, we, we, we don't get it often. So many times somebody who's been sentenced to death, they die before that's oh. carried out. It's, sure. That's the other weird thing about capital punishment is you're sitting there on, quote, death row, just waiting for them to be like, all right, your appeals are done and we're, we're, we're tired of you and we know you're super guilty and you want to, we're finally going to go through with it. And these guys. What's interesting about South Dakota is, uh, according to deathpenaltyinfo.org, there is only one inmate currently on death, death row. row. Okay. So again, they don't hand it out like, you know, Tic Tacs. Do people still eat Tic Tacs? I don't know. And then there's always yeah, there's always the debate about whether do you want this person to just simply die or do you want them to quote unquote suffer in prison? And is I don't know, is prison suffering? What do you imagine that looks like for someone? Does it make anybody feel better knowing they're rotting? Oh, they're rotting away and they're getting what they deserve. Well, and, actually, and inmates still have rights. Right. You, you know, you can take privileges away, but inmates still have rights. So they still get to see the sun. I, I think a rotting inmate is actually really against the law. Uh, yeah, inmates aren't supposed to actually rot. Well, I mean... I agree. So it's but, a tough one. But, but that's, also, that's, that's but what people when we think get, of, though. But when we get capital punishment wrong... When we get it wrong, that is where it becomes, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side when well, we, when we get it wrong. We've said it and before. we have this, gotten it wrong. Right. We've gotten it wrong a bunch of times. We've said it before on this podcast. We've illuminated how sometimes the system has gotten it wrong where the wrong person has been behind bars for decades. Right. It's happening every right. day, at least in the United States, almost every day you're finding someone who was convicted and then exonerated through DNA or you, you, you just, you, you find these things and there's fewer things that trouble me more when we research these cases is the idea of an innocent person being put behind bars is, right. is brutal. It's why the David Milgard case that we covered rings out to me so hard because this was an innocent person that was had their life completely taken from them. So yeah, yeah get the risk of getting it wrong. You know, it, it does sometimes maybe make me lean against capital punishment and that is sure. the, my one holdup, but 
sometimes sometimes people just des- deserve it too you know but again how do you make sure that that, that they're the right people and there's no doubt in my mind there's no doubt in my mind that these two you know did that i, I that's not i'm it's not even my debate isn't even about this case like it's right. it, it has nothing to do with it i think it's the other ones where where my opposing side comes out but. Resources for today, peoplehistory.com, Bleacher Report, South Dakota Court Documents, deathpenaltyinfo.org, Argus Leader, an article by Danielle Ferguson, Associated Press, Rapid City Journal, which is an article by journal staff, Mitchell Republic, also written by staff. Be sure to check out our merch store. You can find the link on any of our social media or tpublic.com slash store slash Midwest Murder. If you just go and search Midwest Murder, you won't find you it. You know, I'll talk to you in a couple of years because you won't find it. Uh, We're on like page 62. <laughs> right. Nobody wants to go to page 62. It's like Etsy. It's not happening. Uh, so make sure you use that link and uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, review on whichever platform you find Midwest Murder on. A big thanks to everyone who has, even the negative reviews. Uh, sometimes I'll be intellectually lazy, I guess. Uh, Midwest Murder is hosted by Joan Alanto and Don Palumbo and produced by the Good Talk Network. This episode was written by myself. I'm Don, and thank you so much for listening and for your support.